Good morning, Okotoks Calvary Fellowship. Thank you for joining us as we study through the book of Philemon. Wow, so lively this morning. Wow. Okay, so uh, we will be in the book of Philemon this morning. Uh, If you guys don't have a Bible, uh, my lovely wife Emily could get you one if you uh, raise your hand. Okay. Uh, For those of you who are taking notes, I have entitled this message, Slave on the Run. I know it sounds familiar. Uh, My dad's been teaching, or Pastor John has been teaching through Jonah with the title Man on the Run, so it's not a coincidence. They kind of tie tie into each other. Um, Yeah, uh, I'll once again pray and then we'll jump in. So, Heavenly Father, uh, I just pray for this message, Lord, that uh, that you give me your words th- uh, that I can impart unto the congregation. Um, Lord, let it not be you, not me. Uh, I just pray that uh, this this passage, Lord, uh, yeah, will really speak into each person's life, lives on a personal level. Lord, I pray this all in your name. Amen. So, Philemon, uh, if you don't know where it is, it's literally right at the end of the Bible after Titus and uh, before the book of Hebrews. It's a really small letter. Uh, Many people have considered it a postcard. It's literally one chapter, and and that's really what it is. It's like, hey, how's it going? Like, here is a little message, and then send him on his way. So it says in Philemon, verses 1 through 3, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer, to the beloved Aphia, uh, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So in the first three verses, uh, we see a different introduction than Paul normally gives, right? In all Paul's epistles, uh, whether it be him talking to Timothy personally or to the church, he opens it usually saying, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, right? He lets uh, his uh, apostleship be known right off the bat. But here, he doesn't do that. He says, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He doesn't say, Paul, a prisoner of Rome, which he would be at this point. He says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ. He also usually ends his letter, or ends his greeting saying, grace and peace from you, to you from God our Father, which he does here, right? A commentator by the name of William MacDonald put it this way. Paul introduces himself as a prisoner rather than an apostle. He could have used his authority, but he prefers to appeal from white what might seem a low place of disadvantage. Yet the apostle gilds this low place with the glory of heaven. He is a prisoner of Christ Jesus. So right off the bat, we see that this letter is different. Right? Paul is not writing authoritatively as to instruct the church in different aspects of what he has heard or he's experienced among them. He's writing familiarly to inform Philemon as well as others. 
Philemon is the principal recipient of the letter. After that, we see that Aphia is mentioned, as well as Archippus and the church that is in Philemon's house. Now, Philemon was greeted as a beloved friend and fellow laborer, uh, which could also be translated beloved brother and fellow worker. Paul often used these terms when talking about those who are in the ministry or who were going about God's work on earth. The others who are mentioned in the greeting are Aphia, who would have most likely been Philemon's wife. And then there's a lot of speculation on who Archippus was. It was either that he was a, he was a son of Philemon or he was just another, work, uh, another, another minister in the uh, city of Colossae. Uh, it is not certain either way, but, you know, that's, that's pretty simple. And then the last one mentioned was the house church. Now, in that day, churches did not meet in buildings, right? Like, we rent out this space. They didn't meet there. Or it's not like RMCC where they met in their own building. They met in houses, much like when this was more of a Bible study, going into a house and doing a Bible study. That's more of the um, format. And we see the same concept mentioned in Colossians 4.15. It says, greet the, brother, brother, uh, greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Nymphus and the, house and the church that is in his house. Now it could mean that there's a portion of the church that is in Philemon's house and that there is a network of house churches within Colossae, or it could be that the entire congregation met in Philemon's house. Uh, it's just talking about the church it's, uh, in general, right? So he finishes off his greeting with his signature, uh, with his signature greeting saying, Grace pe and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Before getting into anything else in his letter, he wants to wish the recipients grace and peace from God. He starts by deflecting away from himself and, and deflecting it towards God. He's giving all the glory to God. Right? Uh, well, moving on to uh, the next chunk here. In um, verses 4 through 7, we see Paul's gratitude. And it says, I thank my God. Making uh, yeah, I thank my God making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith which you have towards the Lord Jesus and towards all the saints, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in your love because, of the, hearts, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. So what we see here is Paul says, I thank God for you, right? right? I pray for you. I hear of all the faith you display to the saints. I pray you continue to be effective. I have great joy and love. Uh, and I, uh, no, I, have <laughs> I have great joy in the love and the faith and how you've refreshed the saints, right? At first glance, it may seem as though he's trying to puff up Philemon, right? If you've ever read this letter before, uh, it's Paul uh, sending a letter 
to Philemon to uh, to take back Onesimus, which we'll be introduced to uh, not too in not too long. Um, but at first glance, it seems like he's trying to puff up Philemon, trying to soften his heart a bit. You're like, oh hey, you know, I hear about everything that you're doing, and you know, it's great. You know, I love I love the work that you do. I love the faith. I love how you're refreshing the saints. And now, oh hey, and take back Onesimus. It's, but that kind of seems out of character for Paul, right? Paul has said many times to not be prideful, right? One one time he said it in Romans in twelve uh, Romans twelve verse three. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly than he ought or than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Right? We also see in Proverbs 8.13 that pride is not from God. The fear of the Lord is the hatred, or is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance, and, uh, pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. So it's out of character for Paul to be like, oh yeah, hey, I hear about everything you're doing now take back Onesimus. It's, uh, that doesn't seem like something Paul would do. And instead, or, uh, well, I just jumped ahead a bit. Um, it doesn't, and it also doesn't seem like he's softening the hearts, or the heart uh, of an individual just for him to choose the what Paul wants him to choose. Right? Because uh, we already know that Paul set aside his apostle, uh, uh, apostolic, that's the word, Authority and is writing as a prisoner, not as an apostle. Right? Once again, William MacDonald said, Some commentators suggest that Paul is using uh, diplomacy in these opening verses, that his purpose is to soften Philemon's heart, to receive Onesimus back again. This ascribes an unworthy motive to the apostle and casts a shadow over the inspired text. Paul would not have said it if he did not sincerely mean it. Right? So Paul is not trying to puff up Philemon, nor is he trying to soften up Philemon. Paul is genuine. He always has been. Right? If he is saying, I pray for you, you know, I hear about the love that you have, I hear that you're refreshing the saints, and it's a joy to me that you're doing so, he probably means it. He's a, he's a very genuine guy. Right? He loves the saints just as much as the uh, and the church as a whole, right? Just a few questions. Then, how is your love for the body of Christ? Do you have that same love? Are you genuine? Are you genuinely in love with God's people, right? To meet, come every Sunday. Or are you just here, come in and you leave, right? Do you fellowship with one with one another? Do you touch base with one another? Do you actually have a love? Do you do you leave here feeling refreshed by the brethren, or do you just leave here like, ah, well, that was two hours. That was three hours or however long the service was. Right? Do you have a genuine love? Moving on to the uh, main ch uh <laughs> chunk of scripture that we're going to be, uh, we're going to be taking a lot more time through this one. It's Paul's plea. It says through uh, verses 8 through 16, Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, 
yet for the love for love's sake I rather appeal to you, being such as one such a one as Paul the aged and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains, one th- who was once unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and me. I am sending him back. You therefore receive him, that is my own heart, whom I wish to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. But without your consent, I wanted to do nothing that your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. For, be- for perhaps he departed for you for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever. No longer a slave, but more than, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in flesh and in the Lord. Now, in these verses, Paul mentions a man by the name of Onesimus. I mentioned him briefly not too long ago. Now, Onesimus was a slave, and not only that, he was a slave to none other than a man named Philemon. And (laughs) Paul is writing to Philemon on Onesimus's, uh, for for Onesimus, uh, to plea to take him back. Now, we know that uh, Onesimus fled to Rome, uh, but we don't know how he came to meet Paul. There have been many different views on it. Uh, there isn't a solid uh, answer to how, how, how did he meet Paul? How did he get to Paul in this random city, in this massive city of Rome? What we do know, though, is that he met Paul. He stayed with Paul and was converted by Paul. Right, so before we jump into Paul's plea, I want to give give you all a breakdown of what slavery was like in the Roman Empire. Now, estimates estimates suggest that there were around sixty million slaves in the Roman Empire. There were more slaves than there were citizens of Rome. Um, men and women who were treated like uh, pieces of mer- merchandise to buy and sell. The average slave sold for 500 denarii. One denarius was a day's wage for a common laborer. So I would never get a slave. I don't think I would be able to make that money. Um, While the educated and skilled slaves were priced as high as 50,000 denarii. A master could free a slave, or a slave could buy his freedom if he could raise the money. If a slave ran away, the master would register the name and the description with the officials, and the slave would be on the wanted list. Now, not every slave owner was humane. There, were, there was a law that when a slave was captured, they could be crucified, depending on the severity of uh, what they've done. Uh, even if it wasn't that severe, they could still be crucified. It was all up to the slave owner's discretion or they could be branded on the forehead with the letter F which stood for fugitive now I don't believe now now it is believed that Onesimus not only ran away from Philemon but that he stole from Philemon 
that would very much mean that he could be crucified as soon, like, on site. Like, he comes back with a letter from Paul. Philemon didn't even have to take the letter from him. Like, he could have, or, like, ordered that right away. Right? And I'm not going to say that Philemon was one of those inhumane slave owners because it kind of doesn't seem like he would be based on how Paul is describing him. Right? He has this love for the brethren. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean he has love for <laughs> the slaves, but if you have love for God, your actions should kind of be displayed in a, a godly way. Right? You're probably going to be a better slave owner, even though slavery is wrong different time period. Um, but yeah, Onesimus could have been crucified on site. He could have been killed immediately. And v at the very least, say Philemon's the best slave owner ever, he could have been branded with an F on his forehead for the rest of his life. Right? So Paul, before he gets to the point, states uh, that he could be, that he could very well command Philemon what to do here. He could use his, uh, his, uh, apostolic authority and say hey you have to do this Philemon's now a brother your brother now you have to right and you know Paul's done that a few times but that was within within the church what the heck there we go um, so he gets that out of the way he's like I could I could tell you what to do but I'm not instead he goes to him appealing in love, right? Paul already opened his letter saying, Paul, a prisoner of Christ. Now, once again, he says, he sets aside his apostleship, his apostolic authority, authority and mentions again that he is now an old man, or mentions for the first time that he's an old man as well as a prisoner of Christ. You could probably say that Paul was trying to pull on the heartstrings of it. Not soften the heart, but pull on it. It'd be like, hey, I'm an old man. You know, this this Onesimus is now a son who I've gotten in his chains. You know, I'm an old man. I'm a prisoner of Christ. But he's not trying to soften him up. Right? Uh, and then Paul has already stated that uh, that Philemon has love for the saints. So having stated that Philemon loves the saints and loves the brethren, loves the church, that means that he should be loving Onesimus. Onesimus is now his brother. He's now a converted Christian. He is He is part of the church. So he should be having the same love that he has for the church of Colossae, the same love that he would have for the church of Ephesus, Laodicea, wherever, he would have the same love for Onesimus. Remember, that's what it should be. Right, we already talked about how Paul opened this letter uh, saying he was a prisoner of Christ. Well, he was also a literal prisoner at this time of Rome. Uh, you know, as we, uh, we just came out of the book of Acts a couple months ago, right? Uh, and at the end of the book of Acts, it mentions how Paul stayed in Rome for two years. It says in Acts 28, 30 through 31, then Paul dwelt, dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things 
which concerned the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. Now, the time period mentioned there when he's in Rome is the exact same time he's writing this letter. And it would have been probably roughly the same time he's writing the letter to the Church of Colossae in the book of Colossians, uh, maybe Ephesus. And all these letters would have been going out at the same time. It's like, hey, Onesimus, you're going to Philemon. Here, go to the Church of Colossae too and deliver this letter. Right, so it's the same time period. Right, he also, uh, moving on, he calls Onesimus his son. Now, this isn't odd for Paul to refer to those who are converted as his children. And no, Onesimus is not his actual child. Uh, It's right? It's not like Timothy is his actual child or Titus's actual child or the Galatian church's actual child, uh, but he refers to all them as his children. Uh, you know, and then he also mentions that he was once unprofitable, but now he is profitable. And interestingly, uh, this is a play on words, because Onesimus His name means profitable, one of profit. And he's saying that Onesimus was once unprofitable to you, right? He was once an unbeliever, once just a slave. Now he is a brother. Now he is part of the brethren, part of the saints, right? Now he can finally live up to that name which was given to him. He can now be profitable, right? And as we can continue on here, we see in verses 12 through 16 that Paul is sending Onesimus back to Philemon. Now it is very likely that Onesimus is the one delivering the letter to Philemon, which could be interesting, right? Paul says that he is sending him back, but that he also wished that he could stay, but he wouldn't do so without the consent of Philemon, right? In that day, like if you found, if a slave was on the run, you could take him in. They could claim refuge or sanctuary. But, uh, you know, you had to either give the slave back or pay the master the wage of the slave and how long they'd been away. Um, So if Paul here is like, I want him to stay. I wish he could stay. He's been a great help to me in my chains. But I'm sending him back. I'm not going to take him away from you. I'm not going to just steal him. I'm going to send him back. Um, and remember, Onesimus is still Philemon's slave. Paul, once again, is not f- wanting to force Philemon to do something. Right? When we give, right, he said, I want, j- I want him to be uh, voluntary, as it says. Um, oh, where was it? It says in verse 14, but without your consent, I wanted to do nothing uh, that your good deed might not be by compulsion, if it were, but voluntary. He's kind of, he, he's under, like, just under the table asking, hey, can I, can you send him back? Uh, he's been great help to me. Like, I would love to have him back. Right? But he's asking to do it voluntarily. He's not wanting th- it out of compulsion. When we give, we need to be, <laughs> and do, s- or do something for God. It shouldn't be out of compulsion. It shouldn't be out of, oh, well, I have to, you know, the, the Bible says that we, we, need, we need to be tithing, so I have to tithe every, every day, or every, every, not every day, every month, every time I get paid, or, you know, oh, 
you know, they need somebody at the church. Well, I guess I have to help out with kids ministry. Or, oh, I guess I have to help set up the church. It shouldn't be out of a have to. It should be a want to, right? See, I study every week to teach the youth. Now, if I was really, uh, I could have the heart all I want of, oh, well, man, I just worked a full week, working full time. Now I have to study. I just worked nine hours. Now I have to study for a couple hours. Like, oh, man, it's such a drag. But, or, or I could do it as like, oh, man, I love this. Like, I love the kids that I teach. And the heart behind it is like, man, I want to see these kids grow, right? I'm, I'm excited to get into my office and study. Like, it's the two different hearts. When you're, when I'm coming at it out of a heart, I'm like, yeah, I want to do this. This is great. I love doing this. I want to see these kids grow. It's honestly going to be a better study than if I'm like, oh, man, I have to do this. Right? When I'm giving it out of a willing heart, when I'm taking that time that I have and I'm doing it, it's better. Right? And then finally, before we move on to the next section this morning, Paul suggests that God had a purpose in mind. We may not understand why certain things are done or why certain things happen. Right? But God has a plan through it all. And we need to be trusting that God has a plan. Right? He isn't leading us astray. He never will lead us astray. Right? We are put in certain seasons, in certain places, whether it be the valley, the mountaintop. We're put in those places for reasons. Uh, right? Like, I may wonder, like, oh, why am I, why am I working at a warehouse? Why, why, why do you have me here, Lord? Like, I feel called to ministry. Why am I at a warehouse, right? How long am I going to be at this warehouse? Will I ever be on staff at a church? Will I ever be leading a ministry full-time? Or am I, am I called to work forever at this warehouse, right? I may not know the reason why, but I need to trust him, right? I need to seek Seek out why ha- he has me there, whether it be to minister to a coworker, to somebody else, like a coworker, some customer that comes in, right? It's all how am I living out my faith while I'm at work, right? You gotta take those steps. You don't know why you're there, right? But you know, we need to be trusting him through it all, right? See, Onesimus w- is that slave on the run, as the title of the message is, right? I doubt that Onesimus thought when he was going to run away and potentially steal stuff too, that he was like, you know what? I'm going to run away and I'm going to find this dude, Paul. I'm going to be saved and then he's going to send me back to my master. I really highly doubt that was his mindset in it. Uh he probably thought, oh, I'm going to run away, and I'm never going back. And little did he know he was going back. Uh, right? We see the same thing in with, like, with Joseph and his brothers back in, in Genesis, right? I doubt that Joseph's brothers thought, you know, when we sell Joseph off to be a slave, that it's going to end up saving our whole people, and we're going to grow into this mighty nation. I 
really don't think that was their mindset. I think they were just really angry at Joseph and threw him in a pit and then sold him to be a slave. Uh, they just wanted to get back at him. Little did they know God had a plan through it all, right? We don't know why it happens in the moment, why this happens, but you look at it, it's like, well, he turned into a slave, then he goes to Egypt, rises up in the ranks, gets put in jail, rises up in the ranks again, uh, and then saves his people, right? Philemon runs away, or uh, not Philemon, Onesimus runs away from Philemon, meets Paul, gets saved, goes back, and is now a brother with Philemon. I doubt that's what he thought, but God works in amazing ways. We don't always see the reasonings, and we will probably not see the reason why, but looking back at it, you can see God's hand through it. Right, and then and now uh, moving on to uh, the next chunk here, uh, Paul's pr- uh, Paul makes a promise, and it says in verse 17 through 19, if then you count me as a partner, receive him as you would me. But if he has has wronged you or owes anything, put that on my account. I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. I will repay, not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self besides. Paul is willing to pay for everything on Onesimus' tab, whatever that may be. He's willing. And then asks that Philemon receive Onesimus as he would receive himself. You know, anything he may have stolen and in any way he wronged him, Paul is willing to take the fall. Now, do you guys see a connection here at all? Right? I do. It's, uh, the connection is what Jesus did for us. It's the same thing. Jesus took what we could not pay and he put it on his own account. Right? Warren Wearsby said this in his commentary. The word receive in Philemon 17 means to receive into one's family circle. Imagine a slave entering his master's family, but imagine a guilty sinner entering God's family. Jesus said to the father, he no longer owes you a debt because I paid it fully on the cross. Receive him as you would receive me. Let him come in to the family circle. We are welcomed into God's family because Jesus took every wrongdoing, every sin, And he put it upon his own shoulders. And he paid the debt we could never pay. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Paul doesn't say to Philemon to forget what Onesimus has done. He doesn't say, well, he ran away. You know, now he's your brother. Everything's fine. It's wiped clean. No. Paul's like, no, I'll, I'll pay it. Put it on my account. He also says that he is writing it in his own hand. This isn't somebody making the promise 
for him. This isn't Luke writing the epistle, like he, like Luke, uh, was the did a lot of the transcribing. This is Paul writing in his own hand, saying, "I will repay it. This is on me. It's no longer on Onesimus." Right? And paired with that, he's, he has a confidence that Philemon will do it. It says in, uh, in verses 20 through 22, Yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, have, knowing that you will do even more than I say. But meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be granted to you. Paul has confidence that Philemon will do more than Paul has asked. Now, what could be more than accepting Onesimus back and forgiving him? Like, that's, I don't, what's more, like, release him? Like, that's what some people believe. Some believe people believe that Onesimus will be freed from slavery. He, his master releases him. Others uh, believe that Onesimus will be sent back to Paul. Now you can make a case for both. Because uh, in verse 16 we see that Paul says he is no longer a slave but a beloved brother. So that could lead to believing like, oh, well, he'll be freed. Or in verse 13 we see that Paul wished that he would stay but he wouldn't without his consent. So either way, you know, if it's him being released or if it's him uh, being given back to Paul, Paul has confidence that Philemon will accept him, right? That's the point we get at. It gets hammered there, is that Philemon will accept and forgive Onesimus. Now, what's above and beyond that? Who knows, right? When uh, We have the same confidence that when we come to God and commit our lives to him, we will be accepted and as accepted as his beloved and forgiven all our trespasses, right? Paul also mentions to Philemon that he should also prepare a guest room for him, that through their prayers, he might be granted to them. He did not know when he would be released or if he would be released. But he had the confidence that through the pr church praying for him, that he would be. And if he was to be released, he wanted to visit the church in Colossae. Right? Paul knew the power of prayer, for he had experienced wonders through prayer. Right? Now this brings us to the end of the letter in verses, uh, Paul's conclusion in verses 23 through 25 it says Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus greets you as do Mark, uh, Aristarchus uh, Damas, Damas? Hmm? Uh, Luke, my fellow laborer uh, Luke, my fellow laborers the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ uh be with you, uh, be with your spirit, amen. It's Demas, there we go, there we go. 
that took me a little bit longer than I am proud of. Um, so we now come to the end of the letter where Paul sends greetings from common friends. Now, we see that those are these people are also mentioned at the uh, uh, here who are also. Uh, we see that the people mentioned here are also mentioned at the end of the letter to the Colossians. So it it's kind of gives the idea that it's the same church, right? So basically, what Paul is doing here is Paul has just sent her a letter in regard to Onesimus, asking him to take back uh, Onesimus as a brother in Christ now. And then he gets into this P.S., you know, when uh, I don't know if any of y'all write letters. I don't. Um, <laughs> I'm much more like an email or text type of person. Uh, but a P.S. in the letter is like, I don't know, I can't remember what P.S. stands for. It's been a long time since I've been in school. Um, but it's the, you know, side note of a letter. So this is his P.S. saying, Epaphras greets you, and Mark greets you, and Aristarchus greets you, and so on. Paul wanted Philemon to know that other believers were thinking and praying about him. It was not just Paul who had a heart for Philemon, but others in the church as well. Where is our heart for one another? Right? Are we encouraging one another and letting them know that there are others praying for them? Right? He then ends it with his signature <laughs> saying, the grace of God be with you. Amen. You know, he, he brings it back to God always. He always brings it back saying, grace to you from God. So in conclusion, we are the slave on the run. Right? Or we were the slave on the run. The run. We were the wrongdoers. We had a debt that could not be paid by us without help. God took that step that no one else could ever take. He sent Jesus to take away our sin, and in doing so, he saved us. You know, Onesimus was on the run, and little did he know he wasn't running away. He was running too. God had a purpose through it all. We are no longer slaves on the run. We are no longer a slave to our sin. Right? God had a plan. We may not always get the whole plan up front, and likely we will never get the whole plan up front. We just need to trust that God has a plan. Right? God doesn't just wing it. <laughs> he has a plan. We just need to follow it step by step. And as it says in Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Trust God, for his ways are better than our ways. His plans are better than our plans. In doing so, if we follow him and we trust him, he will make our path straight. Even when we can't see it, he sees it. And that's all that matters. 
Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning, Lord. I thank you for uh, this letter to Philemon, Lord, just and all the uh, all the wisdom that's in there. Uh, Lord, I pray that you just encourage us, Lord, that we're no longer slaves on the run. And for all those uh, believers who are who, who are running, like like Jonah did, uh, Lord, I just pray that uh, you bring them back, Lord. Encourage them, remind them that they're not running. You know, encourage them that you have a plan. And then I thank you that you <laughs> that we're part of your plan. Uh, yeah, Lord, I pray this all in your name. Amen.